Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, the Washington Post had a fascinating story about a man named Vaughn Smith. He's 46 years old, and he's a professional carpet cleaner. But Mr. Smith also sort of has a secret about his life that nobody really knew until this story came out. I just sort of want to read you the beginning of the story, and here's the best paragraph I read. Tell me about this stain, 46-year-old Vaughn Smith asks his clients. Well, says one of the homeowners, Schroeder rubbed his bottom across it. Vaughn knows just what to do about that, and the couple, Courtney Stam and Kelly Wydelska, know they can trust him to do it. They'd been hiring him for years. Once, watching him erase even a splattered Pepto-Bismol stain. But this time, when Vaughn called to confirm their January appointment, he quietly explained that there was something about himself that he never told them, that he rarely told anyone. And well, a reporter was writing a story about it. Could he please bring her along? Now, as they listened to Vaughn discuss the porousness of wool and the difference between Scotch Garden sanitizer, they couldn't help but look at him differently. Once the stool stain is solved, Kelly just has to ask. So how many languages do you speak? Oh, goodness, Vaughn says, eight fluently. Eight, Kelly marvels? Eight, Vaughn confirms, English, Spanish, Bulgarian, Czech, Portuguese, Romanian, Russian, and Slovak. But if you go by like different grades of how much conversation he explains, I know about 25 more. Vaughn glances at me. He is still underselling his abilities. By his count, it is actually 37 more languages, which at least 24 he speaks well enough to carry on lengthy conversations. He can read and write in eight alphabets and scripts. He can tell stories in Italian and Finnish and American Sign Language. And Don, the story just goes on to talk about this remarkable man who's a carpet cleaner, but is also called a polyglot, somebody who speaks many, many languages. What did you think about this article? I think it's extremely impressive. The big thing that I took away is he's doing it because he's just curious and enjoys learning languages and doesn't want to be left out of a conversation. So when he finds somebody that speaks a different language, he just wants to communicate with them. It's not a pompous you know, desire for more accomplishments or even any monetary gain. It's just he's curious and is, wants to learn about it. And that's the best reason anybody should learn ever, right? I, I think so. I had written this down too, the power of curiosity. The article goes on to talk about him as a young child and being curious about some of his relatives that spoke different languages and then wanting to go learn that. But then they also talk about how he would meet people at school that were from different nationalities. And his curiosity to want to learn about them as people drove him to the library, basically, to go check out books about different languages. And he would just start studying them. And his desire to be curious, but also his desire for human connection, I just thought was really powerful. Absolutely. And he thrives on engaging with other people, which makes it fun for him. And he enjoys this tremendously. I mean, and that's what he spends his downtime doing. That's what he likes doing. And that's cool. He has got a carpet cleaning job. And that seems to be the limit of his desire for material gains. And there's nothing wrong with that. If he's satisfied with where he is, I'd rather be him than the uh, billionaire that's unsatisfied with a billion that's yearning for two or eight. Well, that's what I couldn't make out from this story, though, was, is he happy? There's sort of a 
I don't know if it's a tragic element or a sad element to this story of here is somebody with a remarkable talent for languages. Again, they call them polyglots. And it seems like 37 languages he is familiar with, with up to some degree. They were talking about how like in a city like Washington, where translators can make over six figures, they said, for the kind of job they're doing. Here's a guy that's learning, that's earning less than $20 an hour. While he doesn't seem upset about his life, he also seems kind of unable to put it together. He was never able to get into the proper channels or to jump through the proper hoops so that maybe he could use his talent in this sort of area and stuff like that. And I thought that was kind of a sad sort of implicit element about the story. Well, in just reading the story, does it seem like he'd be the kind of person that would enjoy negotiating trade and uh, political diplomatic issues through the minutiae in a long time, timely process that is not interesting and not really interacting with people? I don't know. And that's, I, I, you know, you make a good point. And obviously we are not him. And therefore, I don't know if he would enjoy that kind of thing because he's clearly a very personable person. And it's amazing all the anecdotes where he'll just kind of walk down the street, hear somebody speaking a different language, and then go up to them and say hello and carry on conversations. Now, you and I spend part of our day doing kind of boring tasks, but we have to do it because we have a job. Therefore, would he like this sort of job? And maybe he would. And that's hard to say. But I guess my thing is, is he's never been even given an opportunity to have a job like that. Yeah, well, my understanding of translation is that it's all about the reading and writing and the details and getting every single detail right and making sure that there's no vagaries in the wording and that that's the expense. That's the part where they get paid. It's almost like being a lawyer, except for just translating it between languages. And that's kind of the thing that I don't based upon the article, I don't see him enjoying at all. He does have the ability to do that to some degree in eight languages, but it's not really measured. I think there's tests and certifications. And speaking with my wife, who's an ESL teacher, she was saying that the brain connections really come in the reading and writing. And she tells parents all the time to make sure their child can read or write in their native language, because that's where the real connections come in. It's not about just being able to speak, which is good, but it's not the same level of connections and level of brain development as it is to read and write in multiple languages. Somewhere in the article, they talk about the idea of what, as you were saying, what does it mean to be proficient? And as you were saying, like, do you understand the formal nature of the language? But they seem to say that really being able to understand a language and the mindset and the culture that make up the language is being able to understand the slang terms and the everyday idioms and, and things that people say that maybe aren't even in uh, a traditional textbook if you wanted to study the language. And they said that that's the part he's the best at is being able to have an everyday sort of conversation than being formal, which to me seems to maybe suggest he's got a mastery over the language that maybe some interpreters don't even have. Yeah, but that puts his potential job as something different than a legal translator. It puts his potential as somebody like, I don't know if you've ever done this, but in Rome and in Germany and several other places, we've done walking tours where a guide walks us around an a area and tells us stories and what things we're seeing in English because we don't speak many other languages. This guy could do walking tours of Washington, D.C. in all these different languages. 
but that's different from making six figures as a translator. And I don't know if that's, I think you would enjoy being doing walking tours. I don't think you'd enjoy being a translator. That's fair. I guess ultimately, did you think this was a story that is a tragedy or a triumph? Because I read this story and again, I just think of kind of how maybe our society has done a really bad job at identifying somebody with talent and helping this person kind of jump through the hoops or the path that we set up for them. And it just seemed like here's a guy that nobody really understood. He seems to have even sort of, you know, struggled to understand who he is himself. They, they talk about towards the end that maybe he's, he's slightly autistic. There was just no support for him anywhere. And I just kind of kept thinking like, man, we seem like we've done a really bad job at helping this individual possibly, you know, reach their highest potential, if you know what I'm saying. I think you, you're caught on this idea of ability and expectation and fulfilling the ability. And I've seen more and more stories as years go on in teaching where I've had extremely impressive students or colleagues with extremely impressive students who never fulfill their potential, who just move on to some task that they're managing a McDonald's or they're doing something else where they're not really living up to their intellectual ability. But that's a little bit of a tragedy, but it also maybe they're happy. This guy seems to be like a happy guy doing his thing. Just because he's good at this one really small niche thing doesn't mean that that has to be his career. It can be just something he enjoys. There's people all over that have incredible abilities, but yet have limited earning potential or limited levels of success and uh, financially. But if they're happy, they're happy. That's, that's all that matters, right? I think so. I, I just, you know, you and I are social studies teachers. Now you and I are certified social studies teachers. We've taken a test and we have a little, we have a badge or a certificate that says we're certified. This guy just isn't a certified translator, right? He didn't jump through the hoops, but just like somebody who's read a lot about history or geography or is interested in kind of how the world works could also probably be a good social studies teacher by the profession, they can't unless they're certified. To me, this guy just seems like he's facing the same sort of hoops that he just hasn't been able to jump through. And yet he's clearly shown some mastery. Well, if you can't jump through the hoops, I don't think you're going to have the job. It's like we could find somebody to come in and talk history with your class and they'd be just great. And the kids would be engaged and they'd really do that. And then you'd say to them, Okay, after this, we need to grade some papers, just set up the online class. By the way, we have to do this 182 days a year for every year for a career. And you got to check all these boxes and be ready to meet kids' needs at this level and that level. And that person might say, no, no, I just want to, I just want to chat about history with the kids who want to learn about history. Like, no, 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 that's not our job. Our job is to check all the boxes, do the things that we need to do and pry the knowledge into their unwilling brains. It isn't just having fun discussions all the time. It's a different job. That's a very good point is you're right. It's one thing just to want to talk about it. And it's another thing to do it because doing it means there's a lot of boxes you got to check. And maybe that's the same thing with languages. I just, there's a, there's a paragraph I want to read here about his upbringing in public school. And as a young kid, the article says his teachers and his parents, meanwhile, so often looked at him with disappointment. He'd chosen the wrong sentence when it was his turn to read aloud in class again. His teacher called his mother to say he wasn't paying attention again. His dad was sending him back to his mom's house again. 
always it felt to Vaughn like there was something wrong with him. And this is the part, again, where I just say, think about this young child from a very early age, teachers, parents not able to identify maybe what he's good at or maybe what his strengths are. And then all of a sudden kind of setting up this lifelong course where he's just always feeling inadequate, even as he is acquiring languages, it doesn't seem like anybody's celebrating that ability. And as he get, keeps getting older, it's not like he had a high school counselor or teacher sort of saying, okay, look, like these are some real strengths. We need to get you into college or we need to get you on this sort of a track. Nobody's there helping guide him. At one point at best, they sort of try to get him into a trade school, but then the application process is a little bit difficult. And I guess this is where I just kept feeling like this is a tragedy of life is a bureaucracy, life has a ton of hoops. And if you don't know how to jump through them, it can feel like this, this huge wall that's in front of you. If nobody who knows how the doors open and close can help you get through them. And I just feel like this person maybe just wasn't given that helping hand. And I just kind of kept feeling like it was sort of a sad story because of that. Well, it seems like he grew up in an area of poverty and schools in areas of poverty don't aim to that level. I remember very, when I was teaching in the desert and coaching, I had a couple kids from the same family that were incredibly talented athletes. And I wanted them to be able to compete in college athletics. And the older one eventually did, but it took him two years of community college to get his grades enough so he could get to a four-year college and compete. And he ultimately graduated and it was great, but the younger one was more talented. And I was like, all right, let's go talk to your counselor. So I went and talked to the counselor. Like he was not aimed to go to college. He was not aimed to meet NCAA requirements. He was not even close to it. And by the time we realized his ability and his potential, his senior year in high school would have been brutal trying to make up all these credits that he never took because the expectation was never there. And so I imagine that would be this way for this gentleman as well. The expectation was never there to go to a higher level of college or whatnot. But ultimately, that's not the point. The point is, college isn't necessary to fulfill your expectations. I mean, it's an expectation for a certain level of people and level of wealth, but it is not necessary to actually live a happy life. The people that I see uh, that are not doing going to college are often just as happy as I am. And what's the difference? Maybe they don't want to do that. Sometimes I wish I was out there, uh, you know, doing woodworking or something rather than what I'm doing. But this guy's doing something. He doesn't seem to love it, but he's good at it. And he can move on and have conversations with people and just exist. But the idea that his potential wasn't spotted isn't that surprising because he could just be the quiet kid in the back of the class and knows a bunch of languages. How are you to know in social studies class or math class? It's a very good point. And I, I like your example of identifying maybe athletic talent. And our society seems like we're ready to help people with athletic talent, maybe jump through hoops or get through doors to try to kind of help them reach their potential. And I, I realize there's still many that, that don't get that kind of help, but it seems like we've got people set up to be identifying that. But here's somebody without athletic talent. Here is something almost beyond academic talent. I mean, th this person is a savant in a way, and we have almost zero ways of identifying somebody with this kind of talent. But then you just realize that the same sort of walls that might get in front of somebody with athletic talent are also there with this sort of academic talent. And you're right. It doesn't mean that he isn't living some sort of a happy, fulfilling life. Although the article does seem to hint at 
here he is now in his mid forties and realizing he wants to do more, but realizing he maybe doesn't have the proper credentials. And I always just go back to realizing you're right. Not everybody has to go to college, but as we've talked about many times, having a college degree has doors open to you that if you don't have one, those doors are closed. And it just seems like all of a sudden in this critical component of his life, he didn't get the proper credentials or at least didn't get help in trying to find his way there. And now is sort of stuck in a way. And I just, I can't help but think like as a society, maybe we failed him. Maybe in some ways he failed himself, his family failed himself. But somehow I just also makes me wonder how many other stories are out there of people with talent, intellectual ability that we are not identifying to possibly get into other roles in our economy and society. I feel like we are absolutely awful identifying talent. The only difference between the students in my AP classes in high school and the gen ed students are the level of commitment. And there's kids I have in gen ed classes. I'm like, wow, you are really intelligent. You really picked this up quickly. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just get things quickly. Do you, can you consider AP classes? Like, no, I got to work. I got I got a job. I can't do that homework at night. I got to raise, I got to help out with my little sister and I have alarmingly intelligent kids in gen ed classes that are just not focused on it because they have other things they want to do or they need to do or they're required to do by their parents or by their family situation. And they could thrive at a more challenging curriculum level, but they can't do it or won't do it. And that's not just true for academics. It's true in every area. The only way you know somebody's a really good runner is by having them train as a runner and see how they respond to the training. They don't instantly jump off the page at you. And I think basketball is one of the few things we can identify talent is because we find really tall kids that are fairly athletic and say, hey, we got to do everything we can to develop your potential. A lot of other kids, we just don't know the potential. And you just see they're just floating out there. Academic, language, uh, math, various other things. There's just kids that are good at stuff and they don't develop their skill. And we as a society should, would be much better off if we maximize that. I think we're doing better than we used to. I mean, 50 years ago, we wrote off all girls. Now we're trying to develop girls as well, but there's so much more we could do to develop talent. And I have no idea where we go for there. Maybe Germany's doing a better job when they give everybody a test when they're 13 and then put them in a little area where they work and develop that specific skill. But I don't really love that idea either because at 13, I was a terrible student and I would have been banned doing a future of uh, you know, plumbing or something like that. No, I, I, you're, you make a really good point. And the one thing I was thinking about is like, this guy's skill is clearly languages and understanding many of them. I don't think we have an aptitude test for that, right? I don't think it's something that you're going to just be able to look at somebody and see and understand really quickly. Plus, I don't think we as a society are set up to look at people's potential for skills like that. Again, as you're saying, like, you're right, we're good at sports, because if you're big, or you move well, people can start to extrapolate that in their minds as to what that means. But here's just sounds like a quiet kid that grew up in some poverty. And parents weren't necessarily looking at their kid in terms of what they were good at. And clearly, the adults around this kid were not either. And we're not set up for that. What's interesting was at the end of this article, they take him to an MIT kind of brain scan lab. They just wanted to look at like, why is his brain maybe different than like your brain or my brain? Or I think they compared it to the author of the article and the area of the brain that processes languages 
his area like lit up a lot smaller than the regular person. And they were just saying that his brain can use less oxygen and process it much more efficiently in the language area, which just clearly goes to show that his brain is unique. It, it's really good at languages. It made me wonder, like, do you think we should start scanning everybody's brains and looking at what areas you're really good at processing certain types of sensory or um, other types of information? And maybe we head you down certain roads or career paths based upon what your brain is just processing? Yeah, perhaps. But then again, we're looking at now we're telling you what you're good at and what you like. I mean, the difference between what you're good at and what you like is is huge. I have two people that I'm friends with, my sister-in-law, like she's not really friends with, but she's my sister-in-law and my uh, childhood friend, Jim, both have PhDs from uh, Harvard in hard science and neither of them want to do it anymore. Neither of them don't, Sarah doesn't want to do genetics. She wants to be a pediatrician and work with people. That doesn't mean that we have to force her to do genetics just because she has that ability. My friend Jim does optical physics, but he really wants to work with people because he's a people person. And yet he should probably be in the lab just grinding. We don't need to force people to do something that they don't enjoy, right? This isn't the Soviet Union. No, you're, you're right. Everybody has the ability to choose. And I guess sometimes, though, that if you're never given an opportunity to maybe be told what you're good at or to realize some sense of, of self based upon what you're good at. I guess I wonder if we're just, we're shortchanging you. And part of it is that the examples you gave are, here are people that got a chance to go do things and they realized they didn't like it. And you're right, maybe this guy would, would hop in there and have to uh, negotiate trade agreements in, in different languages. And he realized like, no, nah, I don't really like this. I just want to sit around the fire and, and talk to other people in, the, in their, their native languages. But again, I just go with the guy never got a chance to go to the game, I guess. And therefore you just sort of wonder what maybe untapped potential we never hit. I'd say he's in the game now. He's really good at finding people and just like, oh, who's that? What language is that person speaking over there? Let me go hang out with them. He just meets people and jumps in to hang out with them. And that's how he's thriving. I mean, the game to him is meeting interesting people and talking with them. I mean, perhaps if he was a sociologist studying language or a linguist, he'd have more chances to do so and maybe make a little more money doing so. But he'd also have to do the academic rigmarole and, and uh, publish research and so forth. Like, it's just not the same thing. I go back to what you said, and this would be the positive part of the article, was the power of curiosity again. The idea that despite not being encouraged by anybody to go and learn more about languages or being told, hey, you're good at this, you should do this. Here's somebody that on their own accord wanted to go and learn languages. And I don't know, sometimes I think one of the, the things that I get most frustrated with with some of my own students in my class is that they don't really pursue their own curiosities or they might have a question and I'll say, hey, why don't you go investigate that a little bit more? Come back with me what you with what you and eh, nah, I'm fine. I don't really need to know that bad, right? And here's somebody who goes to the library and checks out books and it, it throws themselves into learning. And I guess what I just sort of thought was like, isn't this like the perfect Hollywood movie right now? The story of this guy and sort of how he grows up, but then also where he ends up. I don't know. I, I guess, like, are you making this a happy movie or is this a tragedy? I, I can't decide still. I'm with you on curiosity. If uh, for my own children, I was given a choice of them having 
towering intellectual ability or great curiosity. I think I take curiosity every time. But the idea that this person's curiosity is not fully fulfilled is pretty, it's a little sad. And I think it could be a movie. It could definitely be a movie in the 90s. It could, I don't know if it'd be a movie now because there wouldn't be any explosions and uh, fistfights and attractive people. It'd be an art house movie. Yeah, do they make those anymore? They probably do. They probably just go straight to Netflix and you and I are just missing them all. I'm sure they're probably really good. Oh yeah, maybe they're making them in France. But you, he'd be fine. He speaks French. That's true. Do do you think though like how does the movie end in your opinion then? And I and I mean that in all seriousness like okay, so here we go now. The guy has all this talent and here he is at 46. Like Hollywood usually likes to take a movie like this and sort of put a spin on it, right? And, and does he go to uh, the Ukraine-Russian negotiations and somehow gets everybody to, to see each other, you know, from each other's native standpoint? How, how does this movie end so that people can walk away, I guess, feeling something? Sitting in a coffee shop in Monte Carlo or something like that and just chatting with people that come by, just being an old guy at a coffee shop, chatting to people going by and living life, giving guided tours in various languages. Like just th- that's how it ends. He, he fulfills his greatest, uh, greatest goal and he just cruises around. It's not an interesting movie for most people. I think the, the montage of him learning all the languages would have been uh, a good scene, I think. And I, I still think the brutal scenes of watching this person sort of get turned away. And I guess that's one thing I was just sort of thinking about is like in life, Sometimes you don't even realize when I think doors are closing and there's just that description of kind of a guidance counselor, like helping him to try to get into a trade school. And he just sort of seems confused by the process and then just kind of gives up and moves on with his life. And meanwhile, while he's moving on in his life, he's continuing to be a lifelong learner in languages, continuing to learn it. Now he's really interested in all of these native languages from indigenous peoples where there's very few people that even know how to speak the languages at this point. And now that's sort of his passion and interest. I still found that was interesting is it's not like he said, well, I know 37 languages. I'm good. It seems like he's continuing on. Yeah. And that's good. But I think we're overall underestimating the value of just being a grinder, just doing the work. And that's the characteristic that all these people with careers have whether it's the guy that was at my house yesterday and it's talking about installing a furnace. He's a grinder. He just does the work. He knows how to do things. He just gets it done and moves to the next one. Just like you and I starting this class, getting ready for the next class, grinding on. I mean, that's the underestimated value is the ability to just grind and just keep going and find enjoyment somewhere and find enthusiasm and curiosity somewhere and just keep grinding away at job, whatever that job is. No. And that's a really good point, right? getting up every day. And as you're saying, grinding on with whatever task is in front of you and then finding happiness in between it. And not that even, I mean, maybe even the work too can obviously provide some fulfillment, but they definitely said this guy's got a lot of friends. He loves having people over, loves barbecue and food and just having gatherings and enjoying his friends. And I do think that's another part of the story too, is clearly this is a life fully lived in so many different ways. And it's easy for me to sit here and want to push a narrative on it of, well, man, I I feel like this is kind of a sad story. I even feel like that was the question the author of the article was trying to wrestle with is, here's somebody 
that maybe could be having this life at the UN or in, you know, some uh, negotiating table. And he's just not. And here it is, I guess, make your own conclusions on it and stuff like that. Yeah. He put it out there, but this guy wants to have cool discussions and hang out with cool people. Don't we all, but that's not a great career. It's the grind. And it's you and I grinding in class and starting and talking to the next kid and saying like, Hey, we really need you to turn in those missed assignments. It's probably not all that different from the cardiologist that's walking into yet another room to talk to yet another person about exercising, drinking more water, eating less salt. Like it's all the same. It's just a grind. I think one thing that I also kind of took away is you realize that obviously you and I can speak English and that's probably about as good as we're at in terms of our language skills and therefore, think about the number of people in the world that you and I are never going to get a chance to know and never get a chance to converse with or share stories or share perspectives. The one thing I can think about with this guy is the number of people he has gotten a chance to know and he has, has had a chance to hear their story and share his story in their native language. And again, you just think of untapped potential, right? Well, if people can never understand each other, there's a lot of potential there in the relationship and the story and the ideas that can be exchanged that never happen. And you just sort of wonder, what is it that he's heard, kind of felt and experienced from others that maybe you and I will never be able to understand, but yet maybe we should be able to understand it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that certainly is a barrier. But, you know, Anthony de Bourdain, who's an author, I loved his passed away, but he traveled all over the world and through an interpreter met different people in different places and engaged with them in food and travel. And it's not just barred just because you can't speak the language. I do think that if we went around, we'd figure things out. I was in Japan for like 10 days. I wasn't nearly really understanding what's going on, but I was starting to pick things up. If I think if I stayed for a month, I could be fairly with it. It's just a matter of being in the situation. Did you find that when you lived in Japan or Egypt? Sure. You learn some key words to negotiate over price, and you learn some key words to get around in a taxi cab or say hello. But the idea to be like fluent, right, or to understand the slang and to, to kind of understand the mindset. It, it, I do think unless you really understand somebody's language, it's probably really hard to understand their outlook on life and how they see it and how they see it so differently and stuff like that. And that's the part that I feel like maybe this guy has maybe some deep insight that maybe you and I won't have. And maybe that's just me trying to also be romantic and that most people at the end of the day just want to try to find a way to earn enough money to uh, support some sort of a lifestyle that makes them and their family happy. Yeah. It also though makes me wonder or made me think about First encounters, I was thinking about, you know, Christopher Columbus, when he shows up in the Western Hemisphere and shows up on the islands and meets native people for the first time, or any time like ancient Rome was moving into a new province and had to meet the locals. And therefore, you just think about throughout history, there's been so many times where one group of people meet another group of people for the first time, and nobody speaks each other's language. I'm always amazed, though, about how you read the accounts about slowly they do start to understand each other or somebody in the group seems good at processing language like this guy, Mr. Vaughn Smith. And I guess my thing is, is do you think our, our ancient cultures or ancient groups of people were better or worse or the same at identifying the talent within their group that were good at picking up languages, if you know what I'm saying? 
I'm not sure these are great examples. When Columbus arrived in Española, he one of the first things he said is these people would make great slaves. They grabbed my sword with their hands and they cut themselves because they didn't know what metal was. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure any of these groups were bent on identifying talent. It seems like they're bent merely on domination. There are some people that probably have these skills, but I don't think they're as valuable as the skills of power and domination. No, you're right. I, and, and I'm not trying to use them as examples of people that were going to be friendly towards each other, but it does seem like somehow these groups had somebody with them that could kind of serve as the translator, right? Or somebody that was good at, I don't know, showing up to a, another group of people where they had no idea what the language was, but figuring it out. And part of it might just be that like the sources make it seem like they understood what was going on and maybe really like they only partially understood what was going on but i just wondered you know how did they try to identify their translator talent back in those days i guess that's a great question because certainly the uh pizarro want to find out where the gold was and uh, i guess we go back to uh remember dances with wolves where uh, kevin costner is trying to figure out what the word buffalo means and uh do you remember this scene it oh yeah seems like it rough yes tatanka there we go seems fairly rough it does. And and maybe that's how it happened. Cause also by the, I believe in that movie, he was with uh, the Sioux for like one summer. And then by the fall, he was getting married and speaking fluently. Oh yeah. He's, he's very quick. Once he got that Buffalo word, he was, he was good. So maybe the problem was is that he got sent to fight in the civil war when really he should have been a translator. Yeah. Or made a shorter movie. Yeah, maybe that's it as well. I don't know. I, I thought this was just a fascinating article. And I, I, I don't I just kept taking it from like somebody who obviously works in education. And it was just thinking about students that we teach. And you just sort of remember that, you know, we interact with kids in so many different ways, and everybody's lives go on so many different paths. This person's life is a fascinating one based upon the talent and skill they have, and basically upon kind of how they ended up. And I just can't, kind of decide like did this person thrive in spite of or because of the school setting and experience they had and I'm still kind of scratching my head on it I guess yeah I think I think they would be successful either way even if they dropped out of school as long as they found areas where they he found some sort of joy in working and interacting with other people without school I'm not sure that happens but it seems like it's uh it's something you could have done without the uh the mostly corrosive interaction he had with school. Yeah, that's, I guess that's it is a story like this to me seems to lead or seems to give more support towards Brian Kaplan's book, The Case Against Education, right? What are we doing at school? He sort of asked that question. And how are we helping kids develop their talent? And this kid or this person seems to have done it all with really out the support of school, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure school is doing anything to develop or encourage this. I have one son that really doesn't enjoy learning a foreign language, but yet he's going to have to do three years of it because that's what colleges say is important for no good reason. And I have one son that absolutely loves his foreign language and his foreign language teacher and enjoys talking and thinking about it. Well, regardless, they're going to both do at least three years just to be pure misery for one and joy for the other. None of this makes any sense, does it? No. It doesn't. And yet your son that enjoys it 
that's awesome that he's found something he enjoys and maybe he can spin it into some sort of career or maybe when he becomes a successful hedge fund manager, he'll focus <laughs> on the French debt market or something like that. And because of his ability in French, like that might give him a leg up, right? Um, well, and from French, it's easier to learn the other romance languages. And once you learn a bunch of languages, who knows where you go? Yeah, it's just, it's he's found joy there, whereas other people don't, but we're going to make him do it anyway. That's silly. The article has just a list of all of the languages that this guy is familiar with. They have it broken down by fluent, conversational, intermediate, basic, and then some familiarity. And I'm not going to just read them all off, but I recommend go and look at these things because it's also the absolute diversity and all of these different types of languages as you're saying the romance languages and he definitely knows a lot of those but i'm really impressed that he also knows american sign language and you know took the time to to figure out that with how to communicate with people along with all of these different languages that are spoken on, on a variety of different continents it's impressive and then also to to focus on learning these languages that are nearly dying because of the lack of indigenous people left to speak them to me is just admirable yeah there's a lot of languages dying i feel like american sign language has to be one of the easier ones to learn i'm speaking from no authority but that is the most popular <laughs> course at michigan virtual and there's no vagaries or whatnot it's all kind of clearly defined and laid out it's not like you're learning english and you say there 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 and there none of those are the same yeah no i i i, I agree well i don't know i i think it's a great story of course we'll post a link to this article on our show notes. And uh, Don, do you have any other thoughts or just um, anything else you want to say about this article? No, it's interesting to, to talk about and think about. Yes, totally. And, and again, I, I would love to hear from anybody about how do you see this? Is it a tragedy or a triumph? I'm just really glad that I, I ran across this one and uh, just sort of makes me think about a lot of things. Absolutely. Well, Don, it's been a pleasure talking to you this week. I look forward to talking with you next week. Good times. Talk to you next week, Zach. Take care.